Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Warren and I bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, Jerry Falwell Jr. has resigned as president of Liberty University, walking away with a reported $10.5 million severance package. What lessons can the evangelical church learn from the Falwell fiasco? Two hurricanes hit the Gulf Coast, and terrible straight-line winds level crops in the Midwest, and Christian Relief Ministries are responding. And Christian publishing giant David C. Cook struggles to reinvent itself in the face of massive shifts in publishing and music. We've got a profile. We begin today with the story of Jerry Falwell Jr. and Liberty University. Jerry Falwell Jr. will get a $10.5 million as part of his severance package after resigning as president from Liberty University following allegations of a sex scandal. Falwell told the Washington Post that he'll receive $2.5 million over the next two years and $8 million in retirement in accordance with a contract that he signed back in July of 2019. He says he's still entitled to it since he has not been formally accused, nor did he confess to the wrongdoing. Yeah, that's right. Falwell still insists that he did nothing wrong. And in Falwell's words, the board was gracious not to challenge that. Now, Warren, Ministry Watch and other news outlets have reported on this situation relentlessly for the past two weeks, so we don't have to rehash that entire sordid story. But you wrote an article yesterday that focused on the Board of Trustees. Can you talk about that a little more? Yeah, I can. Uh, I was concerned that all of the attention was on Falwell himself, but the Board of Trustees wasn't being held responsible for some of the bad decision-making that they had made in this process. Such as what? Well, for example, uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. has behaved in ways that would have gotten him fired from leadership in most Christian organizations and many non-Christian organizations. And yet, despite that, the Board of Trustees at Liberty allowed him to resign and walk away with that severance package, $10.5 million that you just talked about. The board has a responsibility to protect the assets of the organization. And in this case, they have clearly failed to do that. You also make some points in your article about the board's size and structure. Yeah, Liberty has had in the recent past as many as 41 board members, uh, and it currently has 33 board members. Now, most experts say that that's far too large for effective governance. There is probably no perfect size for a board of trustees, but most experts say that much smaller than 33 is probably the right answer. Lots of experts say, in fact, that the number is closer to 10. Now, you also discuss a phenomenon that some of our listeners may not have heard before, and that's the phenomenon called pay to play. What does that mean? 
Well, pay-to-play describes the practice of putting big donors on your board. Uh, large nonprofit boards can become like exclusive clubs, valuable networking opportunities for the people on the board who then have access to other board members that they might not have access to otherwise. Or in the case of a board like Liberty, it brings the big donors uh, into the same room and allows them to rub shoulders with some evangelical Christian celebrities. Now, Warren, is that always a bad thing? I mean, after all, if I were to give a lot of money to an organization, it probably means that I care a lot about the organization and its mission. Uh, Plus, I might want to make sure that the money is actually being spent in the way that I intended it when I give it. Also, donors that are rich enough to give away a lot of money might actually be skilled in their money management. So uh, don't you want those kind of people on your board? Well, yeah, you do. And pay to play is not all bad, not by a long shot. In fact, in the for-profit world, large investors often insist on having a seat on the board of the companies that they're investing in. But Liberty University is a $750 million a year organization. It has enormous complexity. It has audit committees and other committees that actually require real expertise in the areas that they're providing oversight for. Uh, When a board gets too large or has people on it who just simply aren't experienced in the matters for which they're supposed to be providing oversight, they have to depend too heavily on the recommendations of staff and the president. Over time, board members are effectively trained just to sit back and enjoy the perks of board membership that large organizations provide, such as retreats at resort locations, the networking opportunities that I just mentioned, and other perks that just go along with the board membership without actually doing the real work that the board needs to do. So are you saying that this is what happened at Liberty? Well, I'm saying that the board didn't do its job. And these are just a couple of reasons why they may not have done their jobs. And there could be others. I'm also saying to the donors, alumni, students, faculty, and parents at Liberty, you have a responsibility and a voice in this too. And I should also add, Natasha, in a spirit of full disclosure, that while I'm watching this situation unfold at Liberty University in my professional capacity as a journalist, I'm also the father of a junior at Liberty. I'm using my voice to advocate for change at Liberty, not just a change of president, but a shakeup at the board level as well. So what would you recommend for Liberty now? Well, I guess I have three key recommendations. First, there needs to be some public statement of repentance from the board for allowing Falwell to get so far out of control. Uh, There have been credible news reports about Falwell's behavior going back at least two to three years, and the board has chosen to ignore them. They should acknowledge that. So that's number one. What's, What's the second? Well, secondly, the board should leave no stone unturned in recruiting its next president. For all its troubles, Liberty is still unique in the world of Christian higher education. It's one of the largest Christian schools in the nation. It has a huge base of students, donors, and alumni that go back a half century, it can afford to have the best college president in the nation. This should be a nationwide search that takes a look at the top talent in the country. It's a once-in-a-generation opportunity for the school, a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for the new president, and it'll make a difference for decades to come. And finally, what's number three? 
Well, the third recommendation that I would make is that the board should dramatically downsize and reorganize itself. It's going to be tough to go from 33 board members down to 10 overnight, and 10 may not be the right number, but the board should take immediate steps to downsize, and new board members should have real expertise in running large and complex organizations. Well, we'll see if Liberty takes your advice. Now, Warren, we, we have to take a break, but when we return, we'll take an in-depth look at another large Christian organization as it struggles to reinvent itself. And that organization is book and music publisher David C. Cook. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you are listening to Ministry Watch podcast. Up next is our story about David C. Cook. And I should say, by uh, way of disclosure, I have a book contract with David C. Cook. And the organization that I work for, Save the Storks, rents office space from Cook in Colorado Springs. Yeah, that's right. But I also want to say that you had nothing to do with the reporting and writing of this particular story. I wrote this story, in fact, when I got an email from a reader telling me that our list of the largest Christian ministries in the country didn't include David C. Cook. We had left them off the list because we didn't know they were a nonprofit organization. Um, but they are, we discovered. So we added them to the Ministry Watch list uh, in our database of the largest uh, ministries in the country. And that was when we discovered a lot of things that were unusual about the organization. Can you give us some examples? Well, sure. For one thing, they lose money year after year. Now, some years they've lost as much as $7 million. For the past 15 years, they've lost money almost every single year. So how is it possible to lose money year after year and remain in business? Well, that's a good question, and it sort of highlights another unusual aspect of David C. Cook. The organization was actually founded in 1875 by David Caleb Cook, and for most of its life, it made a lot of money, and it had accumulated tens of millions of dollars in assets, including a foundation that was set up by the heirs of David Caleb Cook that provided um, funds for uh, the publishing arm. But it's been selling assets and using the proceeds to fund its losses in recent years. That's highly unusual because, of course, most organizations simply don't have such a huge storehouse of assets that it can tap into. Is there anything else? 
Well, I think the thing that caught my attention most of all was the size of the salaries of the senior executives at Cook. Chris Dornboss and other key leaders are getting salaries that are far from typical in an organization that is Cook's size and its financial condition, that is that it's losing money. Chris Dornboss's salary, for example, in the most recent year that we have data was about $490,000. Some years it's over $500,000. Chief Operating Officer Scott Miller made over $300,000. And in fact, 26 executives made more than $100,000 a year. That's far more money and far more executives making more than $100,000 a year than other ministries the same size and complexity as David C. Cook, especially when you consider that the organization has been losing money year after year. And there's a lot more to this story. If you want to read more, go to ministrywatch.com, and the story is right on the front page. Warren, I think we should. Uh, take note that not all of the stories that we cover are man-made disasters, such as the Falwell story. We should note that there have been some natural disasters, too, and Christian groups have stepped up to serve. Yeah, they really have. Uh, Two hurricanes have hit the Gulf Coast in quick succession this week. And as you and I are recording this on Thursday afternoon, Hurricane Laura is still actively spinning uh, throughout sort of the Mid-South region and is going to take a hard eastern turn and uh, go through Tennessee, Kentucky, Virginia in the days ahead. Uh, Early news reports are showing a trail of destruction being left in the wake of Hurricane Laura. And last week, terrible winds hit Iowa and other parts of the Midwest. Some of the wind speeds topped over 100 miles an hour. Yeah, you're right. And uh, we should also report, though, that in the midst of all of that bad sort of natural disaster news, Christian groups, as usual, have been stepping up. Samaritan's Purse, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, uh, the Southern Baptist Churches, Rapid Response Teams, Convoy of Hope. These are just a few of the national organizations that have quickly sprung into action in the wake of these natural disasters. And don't forget individual churches. Neighbors have been helping neighbors. Yeah, they have been. And we've got a great story, in fact, on the uh, Ministry Watch website of a Lutheran church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, that became the staging site for an organization called Eight Days of Hope, a non-denominational Christian organization that the church has been partnering with for years, uh, sending volunteers around the country to assist with just these kinds of disasters. And there's a lot more to this story, too. And you can find it by going to ministrywatch.com. Now we're going to have to take another break, but when we return, the next installment of our Generous Living series. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's SaveTheStorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. 
Orin, I always love to hear the generous living stories. But before we do that, you've got some news you can use uh, if you're a ministry leader. Fill us in. Yeah, well, an important part of our mission here at Ministry Watch is to also stay up to date on what's happening in the areas of charity and philanthropy. So our site can actually be a resource for ministry leaders as well as donors. And this week we have a story on the site about how the use of text messages for fundraising continues to grow. Text messaging volume by nonprofits grew by about 14% overall last year with the growth in texting far outpacing the growth in social media or email. Aha, uh-huh, so that's why I'm getting all those text messages. <laughs> oh, yeah, that could be. Uh, the, the growth rate might uh, have outpaced those other channels, but I should also say that nonprofits um, still have only about 72 mobile subscribers for every 1,000 email addresses that they have. By comparison, nonprofits um, also have about 496 Facebook fans, 221 Twitter followers, and 83 Instagram followers. Again, per 1,000 email addresses. So email is still the medium of choice for fundraising and all other communications by Christian nonprofits. Now, one more quick money story, and that story is about what is called peer-to-peer fundraising. First, what is that and what's happening to it? Yeah, peer-to-peer fundraising is the kind of fundraising that you will find uh, at events like walkathons or sponsored bike rides. They're fundraisers where the participants get their friends, their peers, to contribute to their efforts, sort of a pairing of doers and donors, you might say. Okay, and let me guess, because of the COVID, things uh, have tanked, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, there's actually a group that um, does research just in this area of peer-to-peer fundraising. It's called the Peer-to-Peer Professional Forum. And according to a survey from that organization, about two-thirds of nonprofits in North America have already either replaced an in-person event with a virtual one or canceled the in-person event altogether. The group also said that virtual events usually bring in only about half as much money as live events. Well, given that, our next story might be of particular interest. Uh, It's our weekly generous living segment. And this week, we have the story of a man who helps ministries learn to fish. That's right, Natasha. You may have heard the old expression, in fact, that if you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. But if you teach him to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. Well, that has ended up being the philosophy of Dale and Gail Stockamp. Dale was a successful healthcare consultant. He owned a big business, actually, a big consulting firm that um, helped hospitals save tens of millions of dollars a year. He had done that in dozens, even hundreds of hospitals around the country. And he got pretty wealthy in the process. Yeah, he did. And he started giving away significant amounts of that wealth. Uh, And by significant amounts, I mean in the millions of dollars every year that he was giving away. But in the process, he discovered that some of those ministries that he was giving to were either unprepared to receive large gifts or 
they became too dependent upon a few very big donors. He realized that the same business process reengineering that he was using with big hospitals could also apply to ministries. So after he sold his consulting business, his healthcare consulting business, uh, and reaped a huge financial windfall from that, he decided that he was going to start helping ministries retool not just the way they deliver services, but the way they raise money as well. The result was the creation of an organization called Mission Increase, uh, which uses biblically-based principles to develop fundraising skills, does this all free of charge for Christian ministries. And that was in 1999. So since then, what has happened with Mission Increase? Yeah, Mission Increased was founded in Portland, Oregon, which was uh, Ron's hometown, uh, but it's now expanded to 36 cities around the country. It served more than 2,300 nonprofit organizations. And Ron, because he's that business process guy, uh, he measures everything. He, he makes the organization tell how much their fundraising efforts were yielding before they started this program, and then again after the ministry has implemented the training that Mission Increased provides. And in 2017, which is the last year that we have reliable data on what they've been doing, uh, they reported that the ministries had increased their giving $235 million from the year before. Wow, that is huge. Yeah, it is. But Ron says that what's even more important is that now they have the skills, these ministries have the skills to sustain these fundraising efforts into the future. So it's not just a single year increase of $235 million, but hopefully year after year. Right. Like you said at the beginning, teach a person or a ministry to fish and they'll eat for a lifetime. Yeah, exactly right. Now, there's a lot more to this story, and you can find it by going to ministrywatch.com. And it should be right on the front page, but if by the time that you get to the site it's rolled off, just use the search engine and type in the keywords, generous living. Not only will this story pop up, but all of the other stories in our generous living series will be there for you to be inspired by. Yeah, absolutely right. Now, before we go, Natasha, I want to remind everyone that our Ministry Watch Extra episode uh, is uh, this week featuring Julie Roy's. Uh, Julie is the brains behind the Roy's report. Which, if you're a regular um, reader of the Ministry Watch page, you'll know that we use a lot of material from the Roy's report on our site. She's broken a lot of important stories in the ministry world. Uh, she talks about her approach to journalism, and we discuss why and how. Journalism can play an important role in educating the body of Christ and in enhancing the credibility of the church in the world. And finally, I'd like to remind you of a quick and easy and free way to support this program, and that's by rating us on your podcast app. The more ratings that we have, the better the podcast performs with search engines. So you can also leave a comment when you give us a rating. Yeah, I can't respond to every single comment uh, on the app, but please know that I do read them all and I find them very encouraging and often helpful. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Christina Darnell, Emily Miller, Jack Jenkins, and Warren Smith. And thanks to our friends at the Nonprofit Times for sharing content for this week's program. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs. And I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. 
And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. May God bless you.